Shades of Radio. Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman, coming back at you through your headphones, through your car speakers, through your regular phones, whatever phones, whatever means you're listening to this podcast, I really appreciate it. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to go over the Kazan Grand Slam. This was an event that I did watch at least one of the days. I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to do it during work, but I did happen to have it on one of my many monitors that I have on my desk, which was uh, a really nice convenience for me. I'm also going to discuss the results of the USA Judo Senior Nationals, which took place over the past weekend. And as of this recording, the past weekend was May 15th. So not only am I going to cover the USA Judo Senior Nationals, I'm also going to have two athletes that competed in the same division at the Senior Nationals, and they earned uh, gold and silver respectively. I'm really looking forward to that conversation. I want to have these gentlemen on because I want to get an idea of how did the event go? How was the first major senior event Uh, How was that ran post-COVID? How did you prepare? How did the weigh-ins go? Did you have to take a COVID test? These are things I really don't know, but I'm going to find out later on today. Now, for me, it's been about three weeks since I released my last episode as of this recording, and it's really good to see that more and more people in the United States are getting back on the mats. As you all know, I am fully vaccinated. And a lot of my training partners and people that I know throughout the judo community in the United States are vaccinated and they are getting back to the clubs. It's really great to see. And for USA Judo to have uh, senior national championships really was such short notice, relatively speaking, because I know I would say six months ago, nobody really knew if there was going to be a national championships. And I have to believe that there's a lot to be coordinated for for such an event like this to happen. And it it went really well. So but I'm going to cover that later. I just wanted to discuss that in the United States, things have been going really well with regards to covid. But you know what? I been reached out to a bunch of other people. No, I should say people have reached out to me uh, from other places, other listeners uh, in different countries and. The situation is still very much locked down. I, I, I feel really badly for you all. And it's really unfortunate because many countries are, are like, like I talked about in the last episode, are going through a, a third wave, even a fourth wave. And I'm just really hoping for, for the Judah community and everybody that uh, these other countries start getting the vaccines that, that I've been very fortunate to get so quickly. So for myself, it's really good to be back to training regularly. It's just twice a week for me. And unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, uh, but it's not judo yet. I'm still only doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And of course, there's a lot that I'm learning in Brazilian jiu-jitsu that directly uh, helps my, my judo game, if you want to call it that. But even for myself, I'm getting to the point where I'm really missing judo. It's It's been tough for me to go anywhere else 
since I've moved two months ago to my new home. It's just every weekend it's some work. I know there's a judo club out in Tallahassee, but that's that's quite a haul for me. I know if I was young and single and not have not many responsibilities, driving an hour or so to Tallahassee wouldn't be a big deal at all. But for myself, that I'm losing you know, a good portion of my Saturday or, or, a, or a day during the week to, to even train. And, and the challenge for me too is, is because I'm in central time, I have to drive to Eastern time, which means that in some ways I have to leave. Like if I need to make a six o'clock class, I got to leave here locally at four o'clock. And for myself, there's a lot that I got to do right around four o'clock because that's when I clock out of work. Well, not clock out, but that's kind of where I push away from the desk and it's usually something else around the house. So it's been nonstop for me. But at the very least, I am training twice a week and that's good enough for me right now. I'm I'm feeling a lot better rolling for sure. I can go about a half hour rolling straight, more or less. At, at my club, it's it's really interesting I, I don't know what how, what other jiu-jitsu clubs do, but we go seven, eight-minute rounds, and, and we do at least three rounds. And, and that's and we have those three rounds after about six minutes of, of positional sparring. Now, at my previous club at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, we typically went either three-minute or five-minute rounds, but we did more rounds. So this at, at my club now, we, we do less rounds, but they're longer. And at my previous club, Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu, I, we did more rounds, but they were shorter. I, I'm not sure which one I prefer. I think I like the the the, the longer rounds because it really pushes me. Because I tell you what, but you know, by the time you you start hitting that five minute mark, at least for myself at, at my age, uh, I start getting a little winded if I'm not if I'm not pacing myself. And you know what's really interesting to me it, now that I've been to two clubs and spent uh, some time in two different clubs? It's interesting to see s- different students and the things that they excel in. So, for example, at, at Zikro Academy, boy, boy, these guys, even even some of the white belts, their hold downs are, are really good. I, I mean, I'm not exaggerating there. They are really, really excellent. And there's there's a lot of turnovers and, and, and little tricks that I've picked up over the years in judo that where I felt that I, I had some success with those turnovers with at my previous club. But in this club, I'm I like I've got this go to turnover. If somebody's got me in side control, I haven't been able to hit it once at uh, at Zikro Academy. And, and I don't know if that's just because I'm still rusty. That could be a part of it. But. But these guys' hold-downs are very good. Now, I would say at Ebor, the the guys there were far better at things like Baron Bolos. They were far better at these really unique guards and, and these movements that were just really perplexing to me. Things that I I, I don't really have the flexibility for, for. But for a lot of those guys, they they, they had a lot of the... I, I don't want to cheapen it and say it was fancy jiu-jitsu, but they... They really were very good at complex movements, uh, and I'm not saying that guys at this at my new club now are are bad at that. It's just it's just all I'm saying is just, it just contrasting. It's interesting to see how certain clubs excel at certain things. Where I felt like at Ebor, you really had to be a purple belt or up for for me um, to to for me to not be able to turn you over. 
So yeah, I I gotta say it it, it uh, you know being back to training is is has been great. It's I'm I think I'm over COVID if I haven't said that already. I I haven't yeah I've been going you know seven minute rounds uh th- you know three times three seven minute rounds in a class and I've been able to make it through without feeling like I'm gonna vomit and that's probably been over the past two weeks or so. So it's it's nice it's nice to be back. I, I'm sure a lot, a lot of people in other countries are thinking, "Gee, Dave, must be nice." And yeah, I I gotta say it's it's nice being back to training. I I must say that. So I hope you all get back to it as well, and hopefully your countries will ease restrictions as uh, as vaccines make their ways to your shores. So before I get into discussing the USA Judo Senior Nationals, there's a topic that I want to rant on. It's been a long time since I've really ranted on something, hasn't it? But this time, man, I, I got to get this off my chest and, and just get it out there and, and maybe I'll be able to sleep a lot better at night. So here's the thing. And actually, this rant is not against anybody, believe it or not. Not any one person anyway. It's just this idea of setups in judo. I hate that idea. So let me give you a little bit of context over the years, throughout various discussion forums, like sometimes you'll see people make comments or ask questions about how do you set this throw up or how do you set that throw up? And they're usually from beginners and they they mean well, but I guess what I want to rant about a little bit is that I think sometimes instructors in general maybe do not convey the idea of what setups are and how they're to be used and things like that. Because in my mind, for a beginner, you should not be worrying about setups. They're never going to work for you. And the reason why they're not going to work for you is because you guys have not developed proper judo movements, proper attacking. You've not developed the kind of judo that seems to be a real threat to somebody else. And the reason why that's the case, or one of the biggest reasons why, is because beginners, even some intermediate players, they don't really have the coordination to make a really strong attack. Now, maybe for me, I'm just arguing semantics here, but I really hate the word setup because to me, a setup is something where you do certain things to create a predefined outcome that you're looking to do. And I just don't think judo works that way. So sometimes I see silly questions like, how do you set up Ippon Seonagi or how do you set up Osorogari or Tayatoshi or something like that? And to me, the answer is that you don't set them up. You create opportunities by attacking strongly and then using the right throw in the right situation. And I don't think combinations or continuing attacks are setups. I, I just, I don't see them as setups. I, I see them as, as part of a long chain of attacks that can produce an outcome at, at any part of that chain. You know, you know, for example, somebody may say, you know, I was, I was trying to set up Ippon Sanagi, but the guy wouldn't fall for my, my coach Igari. And, and to me, I'm thinking to myself, well, if you're really attacking with Kochigari, then the person's going to react. And if they don't, you're going to get the throw. So why worry about setting up the Sayanagi when, when the Kochigari may work to get you a score or, or just even in practice get you that coveted throw? And to me, judo, 
in Rondori or in Shi'ai is is not only a physical confrontation, but it's almost like a physical conversation. People are are moving, people are acting and reacting, and and it's very quick and very fluid, very much like a conversation. And do you ever set up conversations? I mean, does that ever happen? Do you do you say things a certain way to get a person to? you know, say a certain sentence, right? When you say this and that, do you know what I mean? I I think it's, I think it's a silly idea. And I think I would like to see people when they teach combinations, they, they make people understand that you really need to make committed attacks and go for the first attack to begin with. And then if, and, and if that doesn't work, if they are in the correct position, then what you 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 teach is a means to show, okay, this is an appropriate response to that reaction versus this is how you set the guy up. Now I know in Nawaza, you you're, or in by extension Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, you can set some techniques up if you trap the arm and do things like that. But but when you're on your feet, it really doesn't work that way, at least not for beginners. Now for Advanced players, it's a whole different game because I may watch a video and then somebody says, oh, yeah, this is how you set the throw up. And I completely understand the context because of the many years of experience under my belt. So when I see a video of somebody you know, maybe tapping the foot or maybe twitching their hands or, or, or shimmying their body a certain way, like I understand the context of what they're trying to do there. Because they are moving very fluidly and they're creating opportunities and reactions. But like I, when I watch something like that, I see it with an experienced eye. And I know that, okay, well, just because he taps the foot and moves, maybe, maybe that's not going to work for me if I do it that way. But there are other things within my game, uh, w- within my style of judo that I do that I know would create that kind of reaction. So I, I guess I don't know why that bothered me so much. I I see a lot of like a lot of you know that I hang out on the judo subreddit on uh, on Reddit, and sometimes I see you know kind of really elementary questions like what works better at, uh, for a setup for Sayanagi, Osotogari or Kouchigari. It's like to me, it's like whatever gets you in the right position. That's the only thing that matters, and I wouldn't even look at it as a setup. Just just attack and, and attack until either one or two things happen. Either you throw the person or you get thrown and then you get up and do it all over again, at least in practice. I don't know. I, one of the key things my judo instructor, uh, when he was alive, he really got me up to speed very quickly doing good judo. And the biggest reason was that he had me continually attacking during Rondori and never stopping until one of those two things happened. Like I said, I either throw or I get thrown. And if I got thrown, I would just have to get up right away. And I, I, I said it before, you know, when I joined his club, I don't think I threw anybody for seven months. And I was already a Sankyu at that time. And, but, but, but the students there, they were all very experienced. Uh, one of them was a you know, Jason Morris Judo Club alum. And I got killed, not, not literally, but, but I just wasn't throwing anybody. But I knew if I continued to attack, and he would re- he reinforce this with me, 
If I continued to attack, I would develop the, the, the feel and the senses of what works and what doesn't work. And I, and I got away from worrying about setups and looking at, at the other person's feet, just, just do my own thing and, and go balls to the wall. Um, for, for those of you in other countries, that that's a phrase that means just go all out. That phrase actually doesn't even make sense. Balls to the wall. What the heck does that even mean? Anyway, now, if you have any objections to anything that I said, you know, I haven't shared my email address in a while. Show at gmail.com. If you want to either agree or disagree with my rant, feel free to, to reach out to me there. You can also follow me on Instagram at La Vida Judoka. My Instagram is awesome, though it hasn't been nearly as awesome as it used to be, I must say. I've, I've just been so busy. I don't think I even have a picture of the house up. The new house, anyway. You can also follow me on Twitter, at Lavita Judoka as well. I'm not on Twitter very often, and the, the platform I'm on the least is uh, Facebook. I don't. The only time I'm ever on my Facebook page is, is when I'm actually posting a new episode. I mean, I do have a, I do have a lot of followers there, but um, I don't really interact with the listeners on the Facebook page. The best way is email and, and Instagram. I love Instagram. I, I think it's great. My main thing is is uh, judo-related videos and cat videos. All right, so moving on to the USA Judo Senior Nationals. Now, before I bring on my two esteemed guests, I want to go over the winners of each division in the Senior National Championships, both male and female. Now, I'm not going to go down to the bronze and... and uh, you know, silver medal winners, because you know what, in my mind, if you ain't first, you're last. I'm kidding. That's not why I'm not doing it. It's because I'm trying to get to, to the interview that I got. And I, I just, it's probably going to tack on another five minutes if I do so. So, and I really don't want to do that because I don't want this episode to be super long. Like some of my more recent episodes have. So here are the winners of each division. In the under 48 kilo division, you have Jeanette Hong of Fort Lee Judo. In the under 52 kilo division, you have Brenna Lavelle. In the under 56 kilo divi- 57 kilo division, you have Mariah Holguin of Universal Judo. In the under 63 kilo division, you have Sarah Golden of Kiyotusai uh, taking that division. In the under 70 kilo division, you have Melissa Myers of uh, JMJC. That's Jason Morris Judo Center. In the over 78 kilo division, you have uh, Nina Kutro Kelly. Oh, and I passed the under 78 kilo. How could I? That went to Nicole Stout of the uh, Jason Morris Judo Center as well. And in the open weight division, you have Halima Hassan of Kintora Judo Club. Now, in the under 60 kilo division, we're going on the men's side. You have Lenny uh, Scheinfeld of yeah, he unaffiliated. I guess he just showed up on his own. In the under 66 kilo division, you have Ari Berliner of Jason Morris Judo Center. In the under 73 kilo division, you have Devon Johnson of Ippon Judo. In the under 81 kilo division, you have Nicholas Yonazuka of Cranford Judo and Karate Club. In the under 90 kilo division, you have Alexander Nauf of Cohen Brothers Training Center. Center, excuse me. In the under 100 kilo division, you have David Arkelian of Kamal Judo. In the plus 100 kilo division, you have Philip Horiuchi of Los Angeles Tenri uh, Judo Dojo. And in the open division, you have Adham Ramadan of Griffin Performance Judo. So congratulations to all the winners. Now, I did watch the USA Judo Senior Nationals 
on that day, but I was busy with a lot of yard work. And, and truth be told, I uh, I got myself a riding mower, and it's a lot of fun. I, I got to say that. So between riding lawnmowers, cleaning pools, doing yard work, I was in and out of the house doing, uh, you know, making myself lunch and watching uh, the senior nationals. Which one did I watch? I think it was the under 100 kilo division that I was watching. And in that moment that I was watching, it was it was really good judo. Now, before I get into some of the matches that I saw, there's a couple of things that I wanted to cover about this event that I thought was really interesting, especially with the live stream. First and foremost, I'm really impressed by what I saw on the stream. It, it looked like a well-run, well-oiled machine of a judo tournament. I don't think a minute went by before one match was cleared off and then the next one was on the mat. And I I kept it on mat uh, number three because that's uh, where some people that I knew were fighting were going to be on. So I had mat three on all day and the stream was great. Now, one thing that really stood out to me about the stream is that they had rolling advertisements. I mean, that's something that even the IJF doesn't do. Now, granted, they have those boards on the side of the uh, on the side of the competition area that are scrolling boards. But I thought it was a nice touch to have the rolling advertisements on the screen. It was it was really neat. They, they had the competitor information on the top right corner They had rolling advertisements on the bottom right corner. I don't remember if there was anything on the bottom left corner. And on the top left corner, they had the big USA Judo emblem, which to me, I thought that was a bit too much. They could have either made that emblem smaller or or non-existent, but it didn't ruin my viewing experience as long as I had the the screen maximized on my laptop. And you know, I, I got to say with the rolling advertisements, they had some some pretty hefty advertisers there. I'm not talking about little, you know, you know, you know, Joe's you know, fish, chips, and insurance or something like that. I'm talking about like United Airlines and, and um, you know, Hatashita, Ippon Gear, uh, other pretty big advertisers. Now, I don't know if that's a package deal with the software that they were using to do the streaming, but it was really well done. The, the, the video was great. The audio was great. Even when you, you had people yelling on the side. I, I don't know. There was some lady yelling for Justin during one of these matches. And I, I was like, goodness gracious, lady, put a lid on it. I mean, I, if it's a coach, it's one thing. But it sounded like just the way the, 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 the voice was echoing. It sounded like somebody was screaming from the crowd. And I, I don't know if that was the case or not. But, but if that was a coach, I, I suggest using a bullhorn. It would probably be quieter. Now, because I, I went in and out of the house and stuff, there were two matches that really stood out to me. Um... One of them in the under 100 kilo bronze medal contest, the winner, I believe his name is Damian O'Hara. He had the most beautiful ukiwaza I have ever seen in a tournament, period. Not, a, not even on the IJF World Tour has I seen something like that. He was clearly channeling, um, definitely channeling Kashiwazaki there because it was a thing of beauty. Now, I know these days people are calling that Kataguruma, but I'm going to call it Ukiwaza because that's what I think it is. And if I'm wrong, feel free to write me. Anyway, and in the gold medal match, um, the winner there, uh, David Arkelian, uh, he had a fantastic Sayoyitoshi to win for Ippon. It was, it was a thing of beauty as well. Now, 
truth be told, there were other matches that I watched, but the the matches that I was most interested in watching were the under 100 kilo veterans match, I think 40 and up, where my next guests competed in and competed against each other. Now, I got to say, I consider these two gentlemen my friends. They are doing really great things within their respective judo communities. And they have been great guests in previous episodes of this podcast. So it's my great pleasure to introduce to you again, Mr. Jonah Ewell and Mr. Tabrin Lee. Welcome back. Your dreams were your ticket. Gentlemen, welcome back to the Judo Chop Sui podcast. How are you all doing today? Pretty good. Tabrin, how about yourself? Excellent. Welcome back. Now, Jonah, for yourself, this is a record third appearance on the Judo Chop Sui podcast. So I got to know, what is the bigger accomplishment for you? Becoming the national champion or appearing on my podcast for a third time? Oh, definitely the podcast. For that's, sure. what, that's what I thought. I, I mean, I, now, you are now, this is now your second national championship, correct? Uh, yeah, second age category national championship, as I'm always quick to point out. Uh, I don't, <laughs> but yes, yes, uh, in the in the master's division. Yeah, I won it in 2018 and then again at 90 kilos and then uh, again this year. So that's pretty, that's. Uh, yeah, that's- I was surprised when you told me that you were under in, in the under 100 kilo division. I was thinking to myself, my goodness, has fatherhood really packed on the pounds for you already? <laughs> well, it was COVID. It was COVID. Oh, was COVID. The- oh, that's right. That's That's funny. Yeah. Yeah, I actually because- lost 12 pounds during COVID. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You told me that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the last time I spoke with you was right about the, the right around the time when things were going crazy. We we talked on, uh, I think it was um, either Zoom or or uh, w- w- whatever that other app. I don't is. remember. It may have been just WhatsApp text- or, or yeah. something. Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, we talked. Yeah, on- yeah. yeah we talked on WhatsApp. So, so Jonah, I want to start with you, and, and then we're gonna get to Tabrin. Tell me a little bit about um, how this past year has been for you and your club. I mean, how did you survive? Because a lot of clubs went belly up d- over the past year. And I know, I know that you 510 judo still exists. So what's, what's the secret? Well, you know, it's all due to, uh, uh, you know, our, our members. Um, we had membership did go down by quite a bit, uh, went down by about half. So we had about, we had over, we had, I don't know, maybe about 115 members and then went down to about half that. But I would say about half of those people, so about 55 to 60 people, uh, continued to pay their dues throughout the whole year, even wow. without classes or even with only Zoom classes available. And, uh, you know, they bought, uh, we did a t-shirt fundraiser and... Uh, I know, because I got one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. And, and it was... Uh, so it's really all, all the members uh, who kept it going. And so I'm just full of, uh, full of gratitude for that. I mean, that's, that's amazing. It was, it was hard times for sure. Yeah. Just, just not having the dojo available. Um, we also took the PPP loan, um, which, you know, hopefully we'll can, you know, after complete the forgiveness application, we'll convert into a grant. Oh, good. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We got that. And then we got a grant from the city of San Leandro for $5,000. That was great. Uh, then we got uh, uh, one of our members, um, and I don't know if he wants recognition, so I won't say who it is, but one of our members, um, uh, in addition to paying monthly, he also 
you know, paid up front for like five years of membership. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I'd like to buy five years of membership and also keep charging me monthly. I was like, wow, great. That's awesome. Thank you. Wow. That's, so that's, um, that's very, very generous. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it was, it was tough, you know, um, in, you know, income went down a little bit, but, um, but, uh, and it was, it was just tough not seeing everybody, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, we, we transitioned to zoom classes right away. And tried to make the best of it, made some YouTube videos and, and played around with that stuff. And um, basically what it turned into was, uh, you know, people tried it, but it's really tough to do the online stuff. Basically what the online stuff, the Zoom classes turned into was uh, like about uh, an hour of like heavy duty calisthenics. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and so it was basically, it was me and it was like uh, one seven-year-old uh, who's just a nut. He loves to work out hard. And then one teenager and uh and then one adult and they were all just like crazy for working out we would do stacks and stacks of push-ups and body weight squats and sit-ups and we would do like um uh uh we all we all had uchikomi bands so we would set up our uchikomi bands and we do like a bunch of uchikomis and and um and so it was basically the four of us and and other people would come in and out but sure that was, that was our zoom class so we all gotten really good we got well i gained 20 pounds but then i lost 20 holy crap yeah. Yeah, yeah. I went from I went from like 198 to right up to 220. And wow. Yeah, and I was actually really excited because I've always wanted to be 225. You know, oh, like okay. a, yeah, you know, because I just have this image of myself in my head at 225. And I'm like, oh, I'd have really big pectoral muscles and I'd have gigantic arms and like a big thighs, and I'd just be like a super muscle man. Uh, alas, it was not the case. So <laughs> I got up to 220 and I was a little pudgy and I was like, well, this isn't good. So, <laughs> so, uh, so then once, once we got Ron Dory started again, I lost about 10 pounds. So now I'm about 210 and I don't think I'll see 200 again. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless I make a real effort, but it's like, what's the point at this, at this stage? Well, yeah, I, I, I hear you. I, um, yeah, like I said, I, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get pudgy. I was getting there and then I was like, you know what? I'm going to get, I'm going to start this whole keto thing that I did years ago. Oh, and nice. Well, well I, I used to be actually kind of chubby and then I lost 40 pounds. And oh, then, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I've been floating around 155 and 145 ever since. So I, I right now I think I'm about 150, but I had gotten up to about 163 uh -huh. in October. Yeah. Okay. I, I've had enough uh, Chips Ahoy cookies from to, to last me a lifetime. So <laughs> time for me to get right. Yeah. Now, now Tabron, uh, congratulations on your silver medal. Now, I don't think I've mentioned this. You guys fought in this tournament. You guys were in the same exact division, and um, you, you know, to me, at these ages, at our ages, really, we're all in our forties, just about. If no, Jonah, you're over forty now, right? Oh yeah, no, I'm. Uh, I'll be 43 this year. Oh no, kidding. Okay, so so okay, so we're all over 40. So to me, you get out there on the mat, that's a win. So uh, again, I want to congratulate both of you for for the great effort. Tabern, how did you feel going out there? Mentally, I felt great, but then I realized when I got out there, timing wise, is not the same. When um, you know, I had the curse of teaching and not training. Oh yeah, right. You know. 
But side note, I was actually enjoying you guys' conversation. So when you pulled me in here, I was like, wait, I'm listening to a great interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, like, wait, I, I saw I saw the microphone at the bottom corner was red. So I was like, okay, Tabor, and you're gonna you're gonna unmute yourself now, or are you just kind of chilling out and I was just mute and listening. It was a great conference. So the real answer, I was about as ready as I was to answer these questions right now when you just hit me, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> but um actually you know, I felt pretty good in there. I was like, I was trying to get grips. And one thing, and Jonah, you know this too, when you, I teach a lot of kids. So I was <laughs> telling my coach, one thing I noticed, I'm always in hold back mode. Uh, then also the only competition I did before this was a BJJ one. And I don't know if you guys have ever competed BJJ. Not yet. But okay. Well, as a, I'm in a black belt division from a black belt in both, right? One thing about BJJ that's really weird for a judo player you always have to prepare for someone to pull guard. Yeah. Like they'll start standing, but you never know when they're going to say, oh, I'm done with this and pull. So the commitment is strange. Where in judo, it's like, oh, there's going to be a tax. No one's trying to get taken down. You don't have that, right? right. So I was ill-prepared. You know, not to make excuses, but just asking how I feel. And I was like, man, you know, it's like, all right, back to the drawing board. And it made me remember of times when I would compete more judo, I'm preparing for it, but this whole hybrid thing, yeah, I gotta, <laughs> I came home, I went right to the gym, just went right back to the workout regimen, like, yeah, this is not good. I'm so motivated right now, I'm thinking about buying tickets to go to the Nagasi Cup in Plano, Texas. That's how disappointed I was with my performance, like, I get back to judo competition. Now I saw I, I actually saw you guys compete. I I ha, I was doing a ton of yard work as as always. Uh, got this awesome riding mower finally. Oh nice. Uh, yeah, because I I got a I got an acre in my new house. I got an acre of land now, so I, I can't push that anymore. I had to ride, so so I got a riding <laughs> mower. I came right in, and I had I had it up on the computer. It, it was you guys. I made sure that I kept it on mat three, um. And it was you guys. And I, I saw a, a really excellent uh, Ouchigari. I believe it was Ouchigari uh, by, yeah, by, yeah. by you, Jonah. And that was, it was a very good win. Um, Tabor, and I thought you fought pretty well. You just, just one of those situations where you got caught. Maybe it's a little bit of rust. Um, now, you said something, Tabor. Did you have a coach in your corner or were you just kind of out there on your own? No, my coach was there. And who is that? Mike Verdugo. Okay, Mike was your coach. Jonah, did yeah. you did you have a coach or were you on your own as well? Or were you on I had, I had I had uh I had a team there. We brought seven guys uh competing in uh novice and brown belt and masters divisions. Um uh nice. and, but sitting in the chair for me was uh, a guy named Larry McWalters who is uh from another dojo in the area. Um and he was just you know, he was just there to to, to support. He sat in the chair for a bunch of our guys that day actually. Oh, nice. Uh, That's awesome. Did you, did you sit in the chair for some of your guys? Yeah. Yeah. I did okay. get the chair after, after I was done competing, I had to change my polo shirt and everything and, and uh, got to, got to coach a little bit. Yeah. Now Tabron, did you have any students that you were competing? Cause I know you went to the junior um, nationals, correct? Yeah. The youth nationals. The we youth were nationals there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, for this one, it was just me and uh, my coach. We went there just to, um, you know, support, the whole tournament circuit kicking back up again, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, post, well, it's funny saying post COVID is not really post COVID. It's just things are opening up again. Right. So just the fact that USA judo is 
having tournaments because there's not a lot of uh, organizations having judo tournaments right now. Like, right. I don't think there's been any JA tournaments or any JF tournaments, really. Well, I take that back. They had a Kosen judo one, me and you spoke about with JA. That's but right, other than yeah. that, there haven't, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, John, I don't think there's been many judo competitions. Uh, I've, I've heard of some, but I've just, there none in California. I mean, there've been some that I've heard about in Texas and Florida and various other States, but, and I don't know who, which organizations were sanctioning those, but, but yeah, none, none in California, unfortunately. Now, what about, uh, did you guys meet before this or had you, have you, did you guys know each other before, uh, competing on Saturday or was, or was this the first time you'd ever met? Uh, first time meeting, uh, I had heard of him. I I listened to his uh, podcast interview on, and it was I thought it was great. It was one of my one of my favorites. Um, but um, but yeah. So after I had my first match was uh, against a guy, um, this uh, guy named Michal Orzel, and uh, unfortunately he injured his knee on the first exchange. I saw that. But, it, yeah. Did he, did he twist it or it just gave out? Because it looked you to know, me that it just gave out. Yeah, he told me that it was an old injury that just flared up. Um, and so, like, it, it had, you know, it was like his bad knee. And then, you know, he landed on it and then it just, you couldn't keep going. So, I, I don't really know the nature of the injury, but I, I rewatched it and, um, and it didn't look like it twisted or anything. So, um, yeah. Yeah, he told me he had had a surgery before. It's a bad knee. Oh, because I same thing when I was, you know, of course, I'm watching it too, studying the guys I'm going to go up against, right? And, I thought the injury happened when you had him down. It was strange. You couldn't tell what activated that injury, you know? Yeah. But when he told me, yeah, he had the, it's bummed. He already had a surgery on it. So it's one of those things he's going to be dealing with the rest of his life. You know, we've all had those type injuries where they just, I call them reactivations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just also wanted to mention, I did Google both of, both of you guys uh, before. And I found out that Michal is actually a former junior national champion of Poland. Um, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, in addition, he's also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. So I was yes. I was really nervous. I was like, okay, there's two Brazilian <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu black belts, so Nawaz is out. And uh cuz I'm only a purple belt, you know. And then <laughs> and then this other guy's a former junior national champion of Poland, which is like a serious judo country. So Yeah, yeah. I was I was worried. <laughs> hey man, it was your day, so that's it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. You got two national titles now. And yeah. to add to your credit though, you know, Masters has come up you know, it's not like the Masters of the past. I mean, you look at the IBGF, the Masters tournament is just as big. And I think with USA Judo, it's going to be the same. You got more guys getting in. Because I think this year, we had a lot of people in Masters compared to 2019, yeah. the last time it was in Vegas. There was far more guys in Masters competing, if I'm correct. From what just visually what I saw, I could be wrong. Yeah, and I, I hope that continues. I think, uh, you know, I brought a bunch of guys that were um, that were over 40 and uh, we had one guy competing in the novice division who's 50 and he's actually, um, he looks, he's got the Asian discount. He looks like he's 35, but, <laughs> but he, uh, but he, um, but yeah, they, they could actually were not allowed to compete in masters because uh, masters, you have to be Sankyu or above and they were like green belts. So, mm -hmm. uh, so, but yeah, um, I, I hope, I hope masters continues to continues to flourish. Um, I think that's, that's a great, uh, it's a great category, you know? It's a lot of untapped potential there. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I gotta, I gotta tell you guys. I so I was watching Matt three for for most of Saturday when I was coming in and out, 
And there was a there was an older gentleman. I think he it was in the under hundred kilo division, but he was fighting the seniors. This guy did probably the best. I think Uki Waza I had ever seen in my life in a tournament. I don't know who it was, but um, I, I I tell you, like you know, like you're saying, you know, with with some of the masters coming up, like it, some of those guys I saw were competing in the seniors. Yeah, this guy had to have been. Uh, over 30 he had to have been he just kind of sure. had the uh he he just received i know i know there's guys in the 20s with some receding hairlines but this this guy was was he looked a little bit older yeah uh he looked closer to 40 than 30 that's for sure gotcha uh, unless he just had a, a really rough life which is certainly not out of the realm of possibility but um yeah he he had a f- fantastic i saw a lot of good judo uh over on that saturday so I'm curious to find out, Tabor, and we'll start with you. What was your impressions of really the comp? Let, well, let's start with competition day and maybe work on some of the uh, maybe things that they could improve on. But so, well, before we get to you, Tabor, I would like to say as a as a spectator, I thought that the the tournament looked like it went extremely well. The, the live stream was fantastic. I don't, Tabor, and I don't know if you've seen the live stream, what it looked like, but there was like rolling advertisements on the bottom right corner. And I'm not talking about just like local advertisements. I think United Airlines was, was advertising. Oh. Uh, yeah, like I don't, like now yeah, I no, know. I saw it. It's, yeah, it's, I'll tell you this, not to cut you off. but no, go ahead. It's gotten better from the use to this one. Because they didn't have that advertisement like that for the live stream on the youth, I don't think. I'll have to go back and watch, but I don't remember that, and that did catch my eye. Yeah, and, and I don't know because they didn't have it on the youth nationals, right? And I and I don't know if this is one of those things where the streaming service that they use that's like part of a built-in thing. Like for myself on my podcast, you you might hear an ad for Fidelity Investments, but they're not sponsoring the podcast. It's just one of those things that my. Uh, my hoster plugs in. That's how I get oh, yeah. the free hosting. So I don't know if it's, if it's something similar, but you know, now I know that I don't have to, uh, I don't have to ch- uh, pay a fee to change uh, flights through United because of that advertisement. So, <laughs> so yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, Hatashita was advertising. I saw, I think Ipon gear or something like that. There were several advertisements and I thought they were all going to be judo related, but they were not. So the, the visuals of the, uh, tournament, at least the live stream was great. Like they, they were, the cameras weren't moving around, but that's okay because it's it's not the IJF. But it, it's it, pretty close second in in terms of just the quality of the uh, of the cameras and stuff, and and um, and the speed of the matches. Like I, I think I was telling you earlier, Tabrin, that um, I don't think a minute went by until the next match came up. It, it was just within a minute. They got the next referee up there and the next match. It's like, I, I don't. So what was your experience like as a competitor? Uh, we'll start with Tabor and then we'll go with, with yourself, Jonah. What you guys thoughts on how it went? I think it went well, you know, besides the uh, one day, I'm always hoping that they'll do the um, mat side weigh-ins to save a day, you know, yeah. other than that. <laughs> They've been they've impressed me over the years. I want to say from 2019, yeah, the tournaments have greatly improved. And I I've been I want to say from 2019 and now, 
I've been to all four that they have each year and they've gotten better. Like the online registration system, I've seen the improvements of that. And you got to start from that part. It's excellent. You know, they're, they're getting it. It's almost like an IBJF thing where you can sign up for that tournament online. It's really great. It saves you a lot of time. And then the speed that they actually do the tournaments. The one thing I noticed, you forget about the day before uh, weigh-ins because the tournament goes so fast, which is good. You know, if you can find what session you are, which they've been getting better at, that's one thing that they've added that they didn't have before where they have the fight sheets that shows your session. You can see which gear you're going to be, white or blue. You see what match you are, your session one, two, or three, depending on how many you have. And so you can kind of gauge around which time you need to show up. So that helps. And like I said, I mean, the tournaments have ended. I want to say this tournament ended around 3.30, 4 o'clock. What? Really? Yep. Yes. yes. Wow. That's, that's, yes. that's really impressive. Yes. I thought this would have been for the size of the tournament an all-day affair. I, I mean, going into 7 o'clock at night. I tell you this, since 2019, that has not been the case. I want to say, um, wait, Jonah, you were at the 2019 tournament in Vegas, right? Yeah, just watching. But yeah, I was there. Oh, okay. I want to say that one went a little longer, but they had more competitors. And I think more people are doing double and triple divisions, which makes it go longer. But for this one, ish, man, they were done just as fast as they were with the youth nationals when it was in Colorado Springs. I was impressed how that tournament was over for the day one at 3.30. Then they had a clinic with Brian Olson and everything. And the second day, it was the same thing. I was like, wow, you know, this isn't going to 8 o'clock. So I was very impressed with that. That's that's really interesting. Now, how about yourself, Jonah? What did you think of how things went for, as a competitor? You you know, from from morning to right until you went to your first match. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Oh, I 100% agree with Tabron. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I think it went really well. Uh, everything was smooth. And, um, you know, the, the registration aspect and, uh, you know, how quickly the matches went. Um, what else? Uh, the I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Keith Bryant himself, the CEO, but whoever was doing the announcing was actually, you could tell, oh, maybe it couldn't have been Keith Bryant. It's Dave Allen. Oh, Dave was it Allen. Dave Allen? Well, yeah, because he's he was definitely a judo guy because he would be like, you know, he would come in like very timely and he would be like, oh, there was a big Uranage on Matt three, you know, like, <laughs> and, you want to, okay. Hate to cut you off, but Dave Allen, I was actually really impressed with that, that you mentioned that Jonah, because yeah. did you notice he called our names right when we were starting? He did. He yes. He did. I don't know how he did that with every Matt. He was on point with that. He, Sorry was. About he really that, was. He really was. Yeah, no, that was, that was great. So that was awesome. And, uh, also, just uh, just to give some some shout outs, uh, um, uh, Corinne Shigamoto and Austin Leith uh, on the lead up to the tournament were both really super fast getting back to me with emails. I had to because, um, you know, I have to uh, for, I have to register, not register, but I have to uh, what is it? Verify people's rank for under 
And so, which is just involves sending an email to Austin and uh, say, oh, because otherwise, if you don't do that, they can't, they can't register for the tournament. So um, I had a bunch of guys, you know, joining USA Judo, and they would have to send an email to Austin and say, okay, this guy is a green belt. And he would get back to me within like an hour or two and be like, okay, he's verified. He's ready to register. Um, excuse me. Yeah, uh, Corinne Shigemoto, the same. She would get back to me very quickly. And, uh, and um, you know, USA Judo is not a perfect organization for sure. But, like, I think they put on a really good tournament. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was really great. I think the, uh, the live stream was excellent. It was. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going through right now and uh, clipping our matches. And I figured out how to do that. And I'm going to clip our matches so we can look at them later. And, and um, it's just so nice to have that available. You know, like, I tried to video a few matches with my phone but you know it's 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 easier just to go back and, and watch the hd live stream so, so yeah in, in fact jonah i was a little surprised because i saw the video that you posted early this morning you must have been up at like three in the morning because I, I i got the notification at like six well it was midnight for me oh okay okay <laughs> well i was a little surprised it, maybe you could explain kind of give the context on here the fellow that injured himself yeah you helped them off the mat. Like, where's where's the people that that um, that uh, where are the medical professionals? I was oh. a little surprised. I mean, I thought it was cool that you helped them off, but I mean, w- were there medical personnel? I, I would. Oh think yeah, no, yeah, yeah. There was there was medical personnel. It, it just it was just that like um, the referee Dave Williams, who's who's uh, from California. He's he's a veteran referee. He he, you know, I've, I I I have seen him around. I know him, but he's, you know, I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was just, I think he could tell that like, you know, it wasn't like a super serious, I mean, it was, it was a serious injury that he couldn't continue, but you know, Michelle explained to him, he was like, you know, it's an old injury and, and he, he stood up on his own power. And, and so I went and shook his hand and I was like, wow, I'm so sorry. Like, and, and, uh, and then Dave, Dave Williams actually suggested, he was like, why don't you help him off? I was like, Oh, okay, sure. So, Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. See, I you can't if really he hear that. Carried on the camera. off on a stretcher. I'm sure they would have brought in a stretcher, but it, it just wasn't that serious. Now, Tabron, I was a little surprised because usually when I see injuries that happen, you know, during the course of a tournament, um, if if somebody wins, if somebody's awarded the victory because the other person can't continue, they usually stand out there and just bow. I'm surprised they got him out there to just ray on the mat. I, I was a little surprised at that. Is that? I mean, is that something they typically do, uh, you know, in, in these tournaments? Because usually in the IJF, they, they just have the single athlete go out there and and he's just, a, he or she's declared the winner and that's it. Then they ray off the mat. Well, uh, we actually were talking, him and I, Michelle, and they had X'd it out and we both went out there just to make sure they had it right. I see. Okay. That's what happened because yeah, they do, but they're like, Oh, you're not saying, what do you mean? You're not going to bow. That's standard. Someone has to go out there and bow out so you can get the victory. And matter of fact, if you look at the video, he was telling uh, Dave Williams, cause he was a ref for that. No, I'm bowing out. And so, cause they had no clue. So I see. Okay. We just want to make sure it was correct. So like they didn't mess up the paperwork and all of that when it was time to go to the podium. Oh, okay. That, that, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad you cleared that up. Cause, cause I, I thought that was just a little curious that, uh, you know, usually somebody that's injured, if they're done for the tournament, they're not going to have them go out there on the mats. But yeah, but. yeah, Norm is the one, but they had it. They were like, oh, no, you just X'd out. I'm like, you sure about that? Someone has to go out. You know, they, 
But you keep this in mind. Um, for the people working at the tables, they're volunteers. They're not judoka. Right. So, you know, which is, you know, and I, I, I always tell people, be patient with them because we haven't grown to the level where we have repeat volunteers because these tournaments are in different states each time. So you're going to get a different group of volunteers each venue you're at. Yeah, and I got to say, um, at least just watching what I saw on camera, a lot of the volunteers were right on it. I saw a lot of those kids running out there with the push brooms and the mats and, you know, cleaning up the mats pretty quickly. They, the whole thing yeah, just looked to very Rio efficient. Judo. They were the ones who volunteered. They had their banner. So I seen their head sensei. He was he really stepped up and getting volunteers from what I saw. So he did a great job really managing and being on who top is that of again? it. It was, it was Reno Judo. Reno Judo. Okay. Yes. What about um, how did the registration go? Like Tabor, you mentioned earlier that um, that you you know you, you wish they had same day weigh ins, which I I would love to see that even for the bigger tournaments. But what did you guys think about the registration? Did did you have to get a past COVID test? What, what, how did the registration process go post COVID here uh, with the with the senior nationals and? How, how, I don't, just curious, how did that go? Would you like me to talk about this since I've been to both the tournaments since they've had it? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, go okay. ahead. So they were similar, but a little different. The difference was they did the, uh, the nostril test at this one for the antigen, but generally what you have to do, you got a COVID test three days prior. It has to be negative when you walk in the doors. You show that negative test and they have you take the antigen test there. This one at the senior nationals was way faster than what it was in Utah. Nice. Utah, it took us an hour. I want to say my test results took like five minutes here. So once again, when I'm saying things are getting better and faster, that's my experience. So um, besides trying to get your COVID test within the three days before you travel, which is kind of like a headache because BJJ doesn't do it, but you got to keep in mind USA Judo, they're following rules of the USOC and things like that. So like the Hebrew national, we answer to a higher calling or something like that. So that's, that's what works with that. Right. I don't know your, your opinion, Jonah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought it was fine. I mean, uh, I, I think um, I don't, I mean, I'm just guessing here, but I'm guessing that the COVID requirement may have been uh, required by the Reno Sparks Convention Center and not necessarily by USA Judo. Who knows? I, I mean, see. oh, I that's know. a good point. Yeah. yeah like I, I saw some, you know, I saw some complaining online, like, oh, the COVID test, one COVID test, and two COVID tests, and all this stuff. And I was like, well, you know, kind of on the tail end of the pandemic, and uh, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's kind of annoying, but it's fine, you know. And, uh, and uh, I mean, if we still have to take a COVID test next year, I don't know. I might boycott it, but, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, yeah, I thought it was fine. You know, you nope. take COVID test before you get there and then another one. Oh, one thing I would mention. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> when you walk in, when I walk in, you know, to show my COVID test, my already completed COVID test before I take the second COVID test, it didn't seem like the guy was looking all that closely at the, at my, at my cell phone. Like, so, you know, it's, I have a cell phone and I pulled up the PDF on the cell phone. So it's pretty small. And so I just, I zoomed in. I was like, there's my name. There's the negative result. He just kind of glanced at it. I kind of feel like I could have just showed him my electric bill. I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, it was, it was fine. It, it was fine. Now, do you know if they made exceptions for people that were fully vaccinated? I don't think they did. I heard that they didn't. No, they didn't because my coach, he's fully vaccinated and, you know, 
they, yeah, they didn't make any exception. Like I said, it was the same thing for Utah. You yeah, know, it's just like I think, and I, I I'll double check, but I think it's part of the USOC thing because some of the states, I don't know. Like I said, there's some states I've been to tournaments. There's none of that, so yeah. I'm not sure if it's a state thing. And then also while we were there, the next day, uh, Nevada lifted their ban on masks. So, because I I went oh, to this. Really? One, I didn't know that. Yo, man, I was in uh, this one taco joint, and these guys came in complaining about, hey, didn't you hear the news? And I don't know. It was it was kind of bad. They were horrible customers, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I saw because I did notice on Sunday, everybody was walking around without a mask. And I was like, Yeah, they oh, looked at the band while we were there. Yep. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. Now, what about uh, how did so so that was the COVID testing? The registrations went smoothly for you guys as well. Well, you did it online, you said, right? Yes. Nice, nice. And what about weigh-ins? W- was there a long line? I, you, you know, I don't know if it's if it was better in this tournament versus other tournaments you've been in the past and such. Was it a little bit more organized? Actually, for me, I'm, this was the fastest weigh-ins I've did with them. To be honest. Nice. Yeah, same here. It was it was quick and easy. Um, they had two separate sessions. They had a um, nine to twelve on Friday was um, you know novice veterans and brown belt, and then on that I think Friday night from seven to eight p.m. they had the senior elite. Um, so and the only annoying thing about that was that I had uh, some friends, not any of my students, but I knew some people that were competing in both, like some brown belts that were also competing in senior elite, and they had to weigh in twice. Yeah. Uh, so that you know but you know seemed to be everything went smoothly yeah yeah so the reason they had to do that senior elite thing because those are the ones that really have to go by the igf standards right the, uh veterans and all that don't sure so yeah but it was kind of a weird <laughs> delay in time i will say that yeah yeah, it, guys it sounds like this this tournament was was a a, a huge success on the on the TV or, or on the monitors, it looked like there was a lot of spectators. I mean, relatively speaking, for for this type of event, um, I, I was as a viewer outside looking in. It looked like a a near perfect event. Is there anything that you would have liked to have seen, maybe improved upon? I mean, because I like I like I said, as an observer, I I didn't see much in the ways of how you can make this better. Uh, I would say just more competitors. I mean, I think if, if uh, I think that's it, you know, if we, if we had so many competitors that uh, you know, you had to do the senior elite on one day and you know, the novice veterans on the next day, I mean, you know, like we have uh, I think it was about, I don't know, maybe I uh, estimated about 300 ish competitors throughout all the divisions. Yeah. You know, if we could have like a thousand competitors, that would be great. Oh, uh, sure. I, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, and of course, you know, when you, when you multiply the amount of people, of course, that, that strains, you know, your system. So that would be really put them to the test as far as how well their systems are working. But um, I would love to see, and I'm sure there's a reason for this. So I'm speaking out of ignorance, but I would love to see some of like the big stars be, you know, kind of required to compete at, you know, I don't know, either the senior nationals or the U S open, like, um, well, in 2018, I remember in Texas, uh, Angelica Delgado competed there, and uh, that was really cool to see. So, like, I would love to see Nick Del Popolo, you know, uh, Adonis Diaz compete, you know, some of these 
well-known people. It might be annoying for them, but <laughs> but just as a fan, I would love to like see them there. So I think uh, you got to write a letter Kutro to Kelly. IJF for that. Yeah, she she competed there, but yeah. technically she should have been overseas. What happens is I don't know if you noticed this, Jonah, but pretty much our nationals does nothing for them points wise at IJF ever since. Of course, yeah, no, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. when we had the uh, Olympic trials, it was different, but having the IGF rules now, it's wasting your time. And there's always an IGF tournament at the same time that gives them points to qualify for their Olympic goals. So I see, that's I see. why, yeah, you're, you're, you're really not going to see that that much because if you're chasing the points, you know, the only, here's the funny thing. The only people who got points out of that seriously were the referees. The athletes oh, don't really sure, get, sure, Man, sure. you aren't going to the Olympics, you know? Right, so right, the right. elite players that are really elite, they're off at elite tournaments so right right that's how that works yeah that i and i understand that especially with the you know the 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 grand slam and kazan just finished up you 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 got the world championships coming up very soon and in less than 100 days you got the tokyo olympics i if it was me if i was a if i was a high level athlete uh, it, somebody that, that com- regularly competed on the world tour, I probably, I wouldn't want to risk the injury. It's sure, just, you, sure. you know, with, with, without getting the points, it's, it's too much of a risk. I, I, I just, you know, I mean, it, they should, sh- I think, I think it would be nice if they showed up. Hopefully some of them did just to, just to be. Well, Travis Stevens was there as a coach. He was okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think it would be good to see some of the, you know, if they're not traveling abroad, see some of the, um, you know, people on Team USA show up. But that's that. That's not a critique on them or anything like that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know so what? That's... I did see Nick, actually. Nick Del Popolo was there. I saw him briefly. I saw him walking through the hotel. Oh, okay. Nice. So, so I want to loop back, Tabor, and I meant to ask this earlier, and I wanted to follow up with you on this. The P3 program. You so you had a and I talked about this on my last episode. There was a great article covering the program in the Associated Press. Uh, you were on to Tommy Talk to talk about that with Mike Verdugo as well. So I'm not. I don't want to get too far into you know really great details about that because I think it's been covered pretty well. But I'm just curious: were you able to network a little bit? Um, and is there anything new? you know, happening pretty soon with regards to P3 and just, I, I got to believe that you would, you would have, you know, kind of been bending the ear of some people to talk about the program. How, how did you feel that in terms of that weekend, trying to get more, more attention on that program went? Well, yeah, we, um, there were some announcements made by uh, Dave Allen. Uh, there's people there we're being introduced to, who have connections to uh, law enforcement agencies that might want to take on a program. So there's a lot of networking going. We've done that at all the tournaments. And actually we do have one coming up soon. That's going to be in Washington. So any listeners out there that have interest, you can email uh, Keith Ryan at usajudo.us, I think it is, and um, inquire more information. There's information on the USA Judo website about it, which once again is going to lead you to the email link and just send out an interest and we'll get right back to you right away. And yeah, we're always advertising it. We're trying to grow it. I think it's the best thing ever 
not just because I'm part of it, but it really is. It's it's a different um, defensive tactics of rest and control approach. You know, one thing, and I'll, this will be new for you, for your listeners. Um, okay. A lot of defensive tactics, arrest and control programs, what they tend to do, and a lot of judoka, because we get a lot of guys, hey, we want to help out. I teach cops. I got four cops in my dojo. Well, I'm going to be honest. A lot of people aren't qualified to teach, meaning most coaches will teach judo competition judo right well think of this you teach a guy it's day one you teach him a simple a kochigari can that guy really go out and do it in a competition setting after just one lesson with you no of course not okay so let's say you teach this great judo drill to an officer just like a guy couldn't go in competition do you think this guy can go out and really hit that when no. he doesn't know the details and things like that. Probably hurt himself in the process. Exactly. So the approach of a lot of martial artists, even if we were to talk about striking, karate, kickboxing or something, okay, throwing a punch. Throwing a punch is very basic, but there's a lot of mechanics of throwing a punch. Properly turning your wrist so it doesn't break upon contact and things like that. And a lot of times martial artists, they want to just give what they got. But what they have to remember is this. If the person was interested in your martial art, they'd be signing up for your class. Most law enforcement people just want a tool. So the best tools that we do in P3 is all based upon what most people learned in academy and how to do that better. Because they already have a history of doing those techniques and some type of continuing training that they've done with their department or agency. So that's what makes us really unique. And um, yeah, a lot of people, they just have this idea, oh, it'd be great, but most law enforcement guys, they're not trying to be athletes. If they're athletes, they're athletes, you know? Right. They're not going to come and say, oh, and you think you're going to give them this super download. They're going to be like some super saying and go pull this cool move off. It doesn't work that way. Everything takes reps. Everything takes time. Everything takes skill development. Our program is really based upon skill development, not only skill development, communication, communication, emotional intelligence, how to empathize, how to cooperate with people. All these soft skills that a lot of things don't teach, we put into this package. You know, we have a great board, our task force. We got chiefs, detectives, people from some of the greatest agencies throughout the nation. There's a whole lot of thought into this collective, which makes it what it is, where it's different from anything out there. So, and I guess that's enough of the infomercial, right? Because you're going to start charging me, Dave. <laughs> no, no, that's... No, that that's that's all really fantastic, and we we've had these conversations off air, if you want to call this on air. We've had these conversations quite frequently off air. Now, you said something about Washington. Can you? What is that? Washington State, Washington D.C. Yeah, Washington go, what, State. We're, what do you got going on there? Next, we're looking at our next class possibly being there, so we're in the works of that. So hopefully that'll go through, and we've gotten calls from other places. So. You know, there's always interest. And then, you know, we have to follow up, set the dates and, um, you know, make it happen. So right now we're looking pretty good with that. That's why I'm comfortable saying that. So awesome. if any of your listeners are interested and they want to know, well, when's the next uh, course? That's where it's going to be. It's a four day, uh, 30 hour course. So um, we are post certified in the state of Wyoming and working on the other states throughout the nation. So if you're a, uh, State has a reciprocity agreement with uh, Wyoming. You're good to go if post-certification is a requirement. If not, and you can just come to some good enhancement training, this is the course for you. 
Very good. Very good. Now, Jonah, um, we're, we're probably going to be wrapping up pretty, pretty soon. So tell me a little bit about your club to tell the listeners a little bit about your club. Are you back to full-time running classes or are you still restricted due to California state recommendations or whatever the case may be? Uh, I feel like uh, we are, we are back. We're back. We're having classes. Yeah. And uh, dojos are opening up all around. Um, Jiu-Jitsu was first and then uh, judo dojos are open now. East Bay judo is open. Um, Let's see who else. Uh, Griffin judo is open. Tri-Valley, Zimata, they're all open. These are all local dojos around here. What about uh, San Francisco judo Institute? I'm from, I've heard of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, they are looking for space. Uh, last okay. I heard, coronavirus um, hit them uh, such that they had to. Uh, they, I think they lost their lease, and uh, so. But they are going to reopen. I've been. Uh, they they're definitely going to reopen, and they're just looking for space right now. So. Okay. Okay. Very good. Do you have? Uh, can you? You want to share your social media, or whatever the case? What do people get in contact oh, sure. with you? Yeah. 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 Uh, just on. Uh, it's just five one zero judo five ten judo on all the platforms: Instagram, Facebook, and uh, and um, and you know what have you. Twitter, I think too. But um, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to say, like, uh, you know, it's you should. Uh, we need more judo clubs. So if you're if you're a, like even a first degree brown belt or or a first degree black belt you should you should start a judo club you don't need anyone's permission just started just, just start teaching judo get some insurance and and uh start teaching judo that's it now i know i've told this to tabrin but i i jonah you you may not be aware of this i may be starting a judo club up in where i live hey. in my area yeah because at, at the jiu-jitsu club that i'm i'm currently going to the instructor's really interested in in uh and having me teach judo and i i re- honestly would be the only judo club within about a 60 mile radius Nice. Uh, awesome. Yeah, unless awesome. you want to go out to Tallahassee or something, which I'm I'm about an hour west of Tallahassee. Um and and driving out to Tallahassee doesn't actually work for me for for a variety of reasons. The yeah. the big the biggest one is because now I'm in central time zone and, and Tallahassee's in eastern time zone. So a six o'clock class, I have to oh, leave my house at right. four. Right. Yeah, I have to leave my house at four. And that's really early here. And it just and, and that yeah, so Cause you're, cause you're not in Florida. You're in Florabama. I, I'm in Florabama. <laughs> that's right. I I'm, I'm actually closer to Alabama than I am to, uh, to Tallahassee. Yeah. Well, that's so exciting. I think you're going to have a great club and I'm looking forward to hearing all about sensei Dave. Yeah. I don't, I don't want anybody calling me a sensei, but, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I, I hope it works out. I'm definitely looking forward to it. I, I, um, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure my jujitsu instructor will hear this podcast. So he, he knows that I'm really interested. He knows that. And I know that he wants me to do this eventually. So hopefully we'll get, um, we'll, we'll get that going soon. Now, Tabron, do you have any, I actually, I know the answer to this, but I'll, I'll ask the question anyway. Do you have any of your own social media that you'd like to share? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have my own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You got the Hollywood pal though, right? That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. You got the Hollywood pal. And and can you remind me again, you're, you, you teach through Hollywood pal, you teach kids and adults or you teach, you have just kids, just kids. We, 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 you programs through, that's what pal is. So, but actually we did just start an outreach engagement with community members where we have um, officers training 
some of the parents and just adults in the community. It's called um, Fitness with LA's Finest. That's awesome. So that is something we just started because we're looking at ways to um, engage with the community more. Of course. So, um, you know, it's all about establishing better relationships. So we're always thinking outside the box to build those relationships. Because at the end of the day, listen, we're all Americans. We got to work together with one another. Absolutely. You want to build something. It's all about solutions. You know me, Dave. I'm always talking solutions. And um, it's easy to complain. I, I challenge everyone. For every complaint, create two solutions. Even, you know, hey, they may not work, but you're bringing something to focus on other than just the gossip train. And we do that. We build better judo. We build better society. People forget that um, Kano, he created judo for the betterment of society. Yes. So we, it's all of our jobs to do that. You know, there's, judo's a big pie, I call it. You know, we got Shi'i, you got Kata, you got the educational system. Now we got P3. But it's more than just this one thing. It's ultimately to build a better person at the end of the day. I mean, think of those one senseis in their 80s in their cane with their candy cane belt sitting on a mat in their wheelchair. They're still giving back. And that's what hopefully that's us later on in life, right? Absolutely. Because we always want to do something. And we always got to remember that's the important part. We're all trying to give back. I always say to guys like us who are, you know, the no names on Olympic level, we're some of the best guys for the sport because we're developing the next citizen. Who knows? Forget an Olympian coming out of your dojo. You might have the next president, the next senator, okay? The person that cures cancer, the next CEO of Pfizer or whatever. We forget those little things, but we're responsible for building that great citizen. And that's what we do through this um, thing we have in common called judo. Absolutely. Boy, that's, that's really well said, Tayron. That's beautiful. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Well, gentlemen, I really appreciate uh, you guys taking time out of your busy schedules to, to, to join me on this podcast and, uh, and talk a little bit about judo, talk about USA judo and, and, and the great event that was the senior national championships. So um, thank you very much. And we'll definitely uh, keep in touch. Now, I must say I'm really grateful for their appearance on this podcast. We got it together in, in, in really short notice. It, it was actually Tabron's idea. He kind of, we were texting each other, I think the night before the, the Nationals. He brought up the idea. So, yeah, let's, let's try and get together. So, that was a lot of fun, gentlemen. Thank you again. Now, according to my time, I'm about a, a, an hour and 13 minutes in. But you know what? I'm not done yet. I thought I was going to keep this short, but I'm just going to keep going. So I want to talk a little bit about the Kazan Grand Slam and some of my impressions of day two. Again, I didn't watch the entire tournament. It's very difficult for me to do so, but I did have day two up, at least the final block, which as we all know was many weeks ago. But this was an important tournament. This is the the the, the last major Grand Slam before the World Championships, which should be happening pretty soon. And the Olympic Games are less than, gosh, 90 days away, I would think, as of this recording. So something that really stood out to me right away for, for day two, I found out that Sagi Muki got bounced early in the tournament, which was a, very, which was a big surprise for me because I, I usually see him contending in the final block but this time around he was nowhere to be seen I guess he got bounced in either the first or second round to to somebody you know far lower uh, lower ranked uh, internationally anyway so you know as they say in American football any given Sunday well this just happened to be any given Grand Slam tournament for for Sagi Muki 
So my day started off watching the under 70 kilo bronze medal match between Hilde Jaeger of the Netherlands and Chizuru Arai of Japan. Now, I did not know Japan was going to be at this tournament. For some reason, when I looked at the contest sheets and the country participation on judo base, it didn't show that Japan was going to show up, uh, but, but they did have a small contingency that showed up. This match could have been one for the ages. And the way, reason why I say that is largely because uh, Arai of Japan is ranked number three and Jaeger of the Netherlands is ranked 33. But you know what happened? Jaeger got the score. She got a Wazari with at around the 224 mark. And I got to tell you, I thought she might have won this match. I, I kept I was like almost practically screaming at the monitor, do not give this away. Do not give this away. I felt like I was the coach in her corner, except I didn't really know what I was talking about and not coaching at all, just just saying don't lose. And unfortunately she lost because Arai, she came back in convincing fashion with a huge Uchimata for Ipon. And in doing so reminded all of us why she's number three in the world, quite frankly. Now, in the gold medal match in the under-70 kilo division, you had Madina, Madina uh, Tamizova of Russia uh, defeating uh, Giovanna Sokiamaro of Germany in what I thought was a questionable hometown call, quite frankly. I hate saying that, but that, that one was a little odd. But Russia gets the win because you're in their home country. Of course, you're going to get the hometown discount, right? At least you'd hope so. Actually, you probably wouldn't hope so, would you? <laughs> All right, moving on. What else did I see? I watched the under 81 kilo final, which uh, featured Ungvari of Hungary uh, versus uh, Kubetsov of Russia. Now, I'm a little surprised that uh, Kubetsov did not get the hometown uh, discount in this match because uh, Ungvari won with a really nice Koichigari, and it's his first gold medal at a Grand Slam, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Now, granted, with the newer rules over the past three years. Uh, Kubetsov put both of his hands behind them to stop progression on on Ungvari's Kochigari, so he was awarded with the Ipon. Now, the old school guys, if they were to watch this, they would have lost their minds. That's, that would might not have even been a Coca in years past. But according to the rule book, that is a Wazari, so congratulations to you, uh, Mr. Ungvari. The other bronze medal winners, or yeah, the other bronze medal winners in the under 81 kilo division was Murad uh, Fatiev of Azerbaijan and Song Ho Lee of South Korea. And the other match that I managed to watch uh, between meetings and such at work was the plus 100 kilo final, which pe- featured uh, Basayev, uh, Bashayev of Russia uh, defeating uh, De- uh, Silva of Brazil. Now, I got to tell you, this one was kind of a snoozer. Uh, Tamerlan Bashayev ended up keeping the pressure throughout the entire match and won via Shido and Golden Score. And quite frankly, uh, Silva didn't do much of anything and was very defensive. And, it, you know, he had his opportunities. He, he just didn't really do anything out there. So that ended up wrapping up the day for Russia and the hometown crowd goes home happy. But most especially Tamerlan Bashayev because it means he does not get a one-way ticket to Siberia. Is that even a thing anymore? Probably not. That's that. That's like an old Soviet joke. I'm I'm really showing my age. For all I know, Siberia is probably a very beautiful place to live with big, large cities and friendly polar bears and and uh, clean water. So anyway, 
that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Judah Chop Suey podcast. I thank you all for listening if you made it this far. And if you didn't make it this far, well, uh, screw you. <laughs> Kidding. But if you didn't make it this far, you wouldn't have heard that. So it's all good, right? So with that, I hope you all have a great day. I hope you all have a great rest of the week. There will be an after party. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. All right, so the after party. couple of shows that I want to talk about that I've been watching, and I'm totally caught up with one of them, and I don't think there's going to be a second episode, uh, second or third season, I should say. I've been watching this show on Showtime called City on a Hill. It represents Boston in the early 90s. It's a crime show starring Kevin Bacon and, and a fellow by the name of Aldous Hodge. I don't think I've seen him anywhere. This show is amazing, and let me tell you, it captures racist-ass Boston perfectly. Now, I've got no idea if the people of Boston and the surrounding areas are the same type of people that I grew up around because I'm originally from really the Worcester, Mass. area, but everybody from Massachusetts east of Springfield is basically the same type of person. A lot of times there, I hate generalizing, but listen, if you watch that show, it captures kind of how people would interact with each other that I remember back then. It was uncomfortable, quite quite frankly, you know, being a Hispanic person because quite you know, in Boston in that time when I was growing up in in, in the in the you know the eighties and nineties, every demographic hated each other. That's just how it was in Boston. I don't even know how we all made it out of there alive without killing each other. And like racist jokes or racial jokes w- was kind of a common thing. I, I'm, I swear to you, for all the cracks that I hear people make about the South, Boston is just as bad a place as as any place that I've ever experienced down here in living in the southern or southeastern United States. I hope that's changed about Boston, but I got to tell you, City on a Hill captures that era of Boston perfectly and it's no surprise because the two producers are Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and and the little touches on on the little things that they did in this show really did such a good they went above and beyond to make it feel like 90s Boston because I tell you what like there was this raid this scene where they had a raid they they used a 9x truck like, 9X was like the phone company back in the 80s and 90s that I remember growing up in Massachusetts. Like, they could have just got, taken the easy way and used a FedEx truck from back then, and, and it would have made sense. But they used a 9X truck to, to, to do the raid. And then there was this little scene where, where like, one of the main characters is, like, f- sleeping on the couch and the, and the TV's on in the background. And they use a Wachusett Mountain commercial in the background just to give it a little touch. So the show is really well made. It's it's a show about um, 
solving some armed car robbery that a bunch that involved a bunch of guys from Charlestown, and it, it's just it's just really great. And Kevin Bacon is just plays an amazing character in this show. He's one of my favorite actors of all time, believe it or not. And no, it's not because of Footloose. So yeah, I'm not gonna give away give it away. Um, I, hi, excellent show. I highly recommend you watch it. I just finished the last episode of season two. The way that it ended, I really don't think there'll be a season three. So you know, we as as show and movie connoisseurs, we're always looking for the next thing from something that we love. But maybe there won't be a next, and that's okay. Now I know for sure this. I, I know for sure this show will not have a season two. This is a limited C- series. It's called Mayor of East Town, and that's on HBO. And it stars Kate Winslet. And I think the last time I saw Kate Winslet in anything was Titanic. She plays this cop. It's another cop show, which it, it's it's just really good. It, it takes place in a suburb of Philadelphia, I believe, and the. Kate Winslet plays a character. She goes by the name of Mayor, and she's just like one of these local cops trying to solve a, a missing person's case and a murder both at the same time. I really can't give more away on the show, but it's a fantastic show. And I can't remember if I mentioned this in the last uh, after party, but I'm I'm on season four of what is the most depressing show on television. That would be The Handmaid's Tale. I can't I can't get enough of it. It's a fantastic television show, but it is the most depressing television show I've ever watched. Yeah, I, I'm almost certain I brought that up in the last episode. But if I didn't, it's on Hulu. I highly recommend you watch it. There are some disturbing scenes. I, I'll, I'll you know let you know. But at my age and in my opinion, if if the television show is not disturbing on some level, then is it really a good television show? I, I'm not sure if it is. And finally. After decades upon decades, a major news publication ran a story on UFOs. I know I talked about UFOs the last episode. This is not going to be a recurring theme. But man, 60 Minutes put on a a very excellent uh, report on the issue of unidentified aerial phenomenon. Now, everything and all the people that they interviewed, except for for the female pilot, everything in that episode... In that news segment, I've already known because I, I'm kind of a geek for this kind of stuff, a, a very casual geek about it, but but I still geek out from time to time. And so everything they covered on that, I already knew. But there, for, for the people that don't know anything about it, I highly recommend you watch that 60 Minutes report because it, it, it this is a legitimate national security issue and that's how they approach this. They didn't approach it like green men from Mars or, or aliens with big heads or whatever the case may be. Um, they, they addressed it from a serious point of view, and I, I thought it was very well done. Now, if I'm not mistaken, some sort of task force, the Pentagon or something has to present a report to Congress within the next two weeks about UAPs. And I don't know. I, I doubt this is going to be the massive disclosure where somebody steps up to a microphone and says, yes, we're not alone in the universe. I don't think that's going to happen. However, I'm going to be really interested to see what new videos and what new stories are going to be made public and become unclassified. And even very recently, you know, I can't remember if I mentioned this before. President Obama 
has talked about UAPs over the years and talked about aliens over the years. And every time he does so, boy, he looks like a guy that just wants to explode about the truth, whatever truth he knows, but he has to keep his mouth shut because of his security clearance and because of his duty as a public servant. And I understand that, that that's, you know, I'm not going to sit here and expect President Obama to spill the beans on everything that is top secret or anything that's top secret. However, because of the 60 Minutes report, he did come out and say publicly that UAPs are a thing. And he did come out, if I'm not mistaken, he came out and said publicly that it's not us. Whatever it is, it's it's not it's not tech that he knows about. Now, granted, you know, a president at best serves eight years uh, in public service to this great country. But, you know, there's people that are lifers that work in the Pentagon. So the president, there's it wouldn't surprise me even for somebody as powerful as the president of the United States that he's not privy to know everything because it's it's a position that trans that changes every four or eight years. But in previous interviews, you know, politicians are liars. I, I look at them as all liars. So when he's been asked directly about aliens existing, he could have lied about it. He could have said, you know, joked, said something, uh, you know, change the subject or whatever the case may be. But he said, I, I can't talk about it. And in my opinion, when somebody gives an answer like, you know, I cannot confirm or deny the existence of aliens, you're basically saying that they exist or whatever subject that you're saying, whatever you're not confirming, you're confirming it. All right. So let's see. Anything else? Uh, nope. That's going to do it. Take care, everybody.